Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. And for our next stop on this adventure, we are joined by the adventure coach, Ben Turner. Ben is a level four personal trainer and certified evidence-based nutritionalist. Starting out as a chef, then British Army soldier, Ben has progressed as an army physical training instructor and led climbing and mountaineering expeditions across the globe, including to the Himalayas and South Africa. Now as a nutritionist and personal trainer, Ben is dedicated to changing the way fitness and nutrition is delivered, creating a community of health rather than a class to turn up and get shouted at. Ben's single most important lesson gained through his life experiences is that exercise should be a celebration of what the body can do. With this, Ben has learned how to adapt the human body, not just to be fit for expeditions, athletic achievements and competitions, but fit for life. And on this week's episode of the Outside and Active podcast, we have a conversation full of insight and inspiration with Ben as he talks through his relationship with adventure and how he wants to help others to fulfill their own potential. But just before we jump into this week's episode, there is something that you can do right now that will take less than 10 seconds that will help massively. And that is to share the Outside and Active podcast. If you think you know someone who would enjoy this episode and this podcast just as much as you, then forward this episode onto them. Forward any of the episodes on that you enjoy. Let's grow this Outside and Active community and get more people inspired and educated about the outdoors. And with that, let's head straight into this episode with Ben Turner. And we're going to chat about all things outdoors. Sounds we're awesome. Kicking off, but we're going to kick off with a piece of advice that I'm going to offer you from someone who's been on the podcast before. And that piece of advice comes from Pete Whittaker, who is an amazing climber, really, really interesting guy. We had a great conversation. And his advice for you, quite simply, was to or is to take opportunities. So I was thinking of a question around that, but I imagine as an adventure yourself, you you are quite good at grasping opportunities that come your way. I think, well, first and foremost, to have some advice from Pete Whitaker is amazing. Um, <laughs> so I'm definitely going to take that one. Um, so that was absolutely wonderful. And I think, yeah, when you look at adventurous stuff, when you see people on social media who are doing these cool things, I... To me, social media doesn't help anybody because I think it kind of puts a bit of a divide between what people think is possible and superhumans. You know, I'm not very good, I'll admit, at social mediaing and kind of putting your feelings out there and things. I'm just not very good at it. I'm yeah. a very shut off person. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's important for people to understand that these people are just normal people. Pete Whitaker is legendary, but he's just a normal bloke yeah. who's pretty good at climbing and has got there through years and years and years of climbing and doing what he loves to do. And if we reframe opportunities to just doing what you love to do, then the opportunities will kind of fall out of the way, out of the work along the way anyway, you know, and when it does come to opportunities, there was a piece of advice that my dad gave me actually, that uh, the first day that I joined the army back when I was young and fresh faced on the 3rd of (laughs) October, 2011, outside Purbright training camp. And he said, okay, look, you know, I'm proud of you and all that sort of stuff. We'll get that out of the way. He was not very, um, wasn't a very emotional man. Yeah. Um, and he was like, just say yes to everything. I'm like, okay. Thanks dad. I don't really know what that means, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then I turned up and I was like, all oh, right, you know, we need guard duty. I'll do that. Or we need this. Okay. I'll do that. And you just, the more you say yes to stuff, 
yes, some of it's going to suck. Some of it is going to be cleaning toilets. Some of it is going to be, you know, staying up late. But the thing is, the more you do that, the more you're conditioning yourself to being a, being that kind of person that's like, I say yes to doing that sort of thing. I will take that opportunity on because it's not a case of you'll wake up tomorrow and be like, ah, I'm going to say yes to the opportunity to climb Mount Everest with elite (laughs) expeditions and and NIMS die, you know, the best in the world. The thing is that's going to cost me an arm and a leg and I'm not ready for it. It's too much. I'm probably not going to do it. But if you said yes to the opportunity to going up a local Welsh mountain or your back garden hill, you're conditioning yourself to become that kind of person, which I think is a really important way of understanding taking opportunities. And and just generally in life, obviously it closely relates to what we're talking about here is the outdoors and adventure and things like that. But even in any, in, in work, in relationships, or if you take opportunities, then you never know what's going to come from it. And that's what you said there is, is effectively what Pete went on to say about why that was his advice of you never, you know, yes, okay, there'll be some things that don't work out, but actually you're probably going to gain more from it than if you said no to lots of things and then something happened and you regretted not taking that opportunity. So it's it's interesting how, how that aligns. And it's also interesting how you're talking about social media because uh, it, it reminded me of when you said about Pete having this following but not really doing it on purpose. Um, we've had Scott Durek, the ultramarathon mm. runner, on here before before in the past. And I know Dean Connors has said that. He's, a leg- he's the ultra runner's ultra runner saying, well, I didn't, I'm just sort of doing what I'm doing and now people are asking me for advice and inspiration. I get stopped for photos and it's really, really weird. But social media for you as a coach, it seems over the last five years and especially the last few years, social media has become a massive part of becoming in your in, in your sort of PTing industry. And I know you're in a, in a unique subsection of that, but do you feel like it's important now to have a social presence? Um. It depends, I think, on your perspective. So if you are coming from a position of, you know, the average ordinary Joe or Jane who just wants to go and do stuff, I don't think you need to be on social media. If you are looking to become a coach or to help people in that respect or to inspire people or you you have got your eyes on the prize of taking your goal a little bit further, you know, all the athletes of the world and these influencers and everything else yeah. that we have on social media, they're doing amazing things. But like you said, they're just doing what they do. I think social media is, it's a double-edged sword. It can really help in the sense of we can connect with someone like that across the other side of the planet and have a conversation with them. And that can lead to some amazing things. And social media is the only thing that we can do. We can't send pigeons anymore or letters and things, but nobody, nobody writes letters anymore, <laughs> let's be honest. And that can really help make the world a smaller place for us to connect with people and kind of be inspired by other stuff. Because again, the double-edged sword of, of social media is it makes life very isolated and it can make us feel like we're on our own. Something I struggle with when you work at home on your own is yeah. you get really, really lonely. And I think people then find solace rightly and wrongly sometimes, in social media. So I think it's definitely a double-edged sword. It's something to be cognizant of. But there's a saying I always carry around in my head of, Ross Edgley said it before he went around, uh, saw around Great Britain. He said, yeah. naive enough to start, stubborn enough to finish. Well, if we take away stubborn enough to finish, it's naive enough to start. If you're just putting stuff on social media, like, oh, I'm doing this thing today, I'm doing this thing today, I'm doing this thing today, and then all of a sudden people are like, oh, you're becoming that person who does that thing all the time. You know, I've got a client who... Um, he literally just started social media at the beginning of, of what we were doing together. And for the particular goal that he was aiming for, he was like, oh, I need to be getting deals and things. And I was like, just don't stress yourself about going in and trying to get all these deals and trying to forge all these contracts and things. Mm. Just tag them and just tell them what you're doing. Imagine you're meeting them here at 
the outdoor expo, for example, and saying, hey, my name's Ben. I do this. No way. That's so cool. Rather than saying, hey, my name's Ben. Like, what I want to do is try and get a contract in place so that we can do X, Y, and Z. Because people will kind of shut you down, really. Yeah. And that's where things can kind of feel like closed doors. But the more naive enough you are to start, the more you just kind of go into these things with just a bit more of an open mind and a light heart without expectation, which I think is a key thing to throw in there, then the more you get out of things like social media. We went on a really nice tangent there about opportunity and Definitely. social media. Yeah. But the, the, the second question that we always ask everyone is very simply, what do you love about being outside and active? <laughs> Gathering all thoughts. I'd like to package this into a short, sharp thing, but I'm really struggling to put it into a small amount of words. And I'm going to try not to make this sound too airy-fairy. Mm-hmm. If I never got outside and active, I don't know who I would be. Now, let me put some context to that because that sounds very heavy and dramatic. But when I was a kid, I was a very lonely, little fat kid. Once upon a time, that was me. And I started getting outside and doing stuff with my Ray Mears book. I'm getting that signed today. It's in there. Yes. Little nine-year-old Ben with his Ray Mears bushcraft book. He, and he understood, you know, if I get outside, I feel good. And then that continued all the way to becoming, you know, a very highly qualified expedition and climbing leader, climbing instructor and stuff in the army, you know, the best part of 15 years later. And all of that has stemmed from being open-minded enough to get outside and just kind of, like you said, take that opportunity to go and do something. If I don't get outside, if I'm not active doing stuff, and I'm not just saying this as, as a as a condescending PT coach kind of guy, if yeah, I yeah. don't do this, I lose track of who I am. So it's really important for me to just get, get, not to go out and push massive records. Yeah, I'll give that a go. That's brilliant. But to go back to that core thing of, I'll just go out and do something. If I'm not feeling good, I know that I need to get outside and do something, whether it's a dog walk or whether it's a mountain marathon or whatever. So for me, it's it's a it's a core part of my being, my personality. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that there's that scale completely. Like, yes, it can be a massive adventure to whatever doing this massive goal. But also, and I've said this so many times when we speak to people on the podcast, it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be that two-hour gym session. It can just be the 10-minute the, the dog walk or just a walk to the end of the road or Alistair Humphrey talks about micro adventures to, to the tree at the end of the road that you've lived down for 30 years but you go every month and spot something different it's just that again the connection between physical health and mental health and you said it there not not feeling yourself when when you haven't been outside and you can tell you can tell when it's like if I've not done something for the last four or five days I, I get I get that itch and it needs to be needs to be scratched needs to go outside so hundred percent. And like, I'll share something with you now, actually. Like I was meant to be coming here yesterday. Um, I'm not an anxious person. I'm, I'd say I'm pretty confident around stage speaking and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable around sort of closer groups of people. But yesterday woke up with this weird feeling, like quite a strong feeling of just anxiety. I don't get that. I, I, I don't really, mm. you know, without sounding like this macho strong person. It's just, I don't, Sometimes, you know, you have mental health days and you take a bit of a day off and that's cool. But like, I just felt really bad, really high blood pressure, really high heart rate and just kind of really felt anxious on edge. And I had no idea why. Um, I was on my own for the day because my partner was off to go see ABBA, obviously. And (laughs) I knew that if I could have quite easily just melted on my sofa and just scrolled Instagram, again, that double-edged sword of social media and hours would have passed 
and I would have felt even worse. And I'm not saying I fixed it immediately because, you know, for a lot of people, you can't just fix anxiety overnight. But I knew that I needed to get outside. Did I want to go out and exercise? And I'm saying this as a coach now. Did I want to go out and do some training? No, I really didn't. I really didn't. So I went and sat in the sun outside on a chair in the garden through the ball for the dog. Then I thought, oh, this is quite nice. I'll go for a dog walk. Did I turn around and say I need to do a hundred mile bike ride? No, I didn't. But I tell you what, I felt a damn sight better just for, yeah. just for being outside, just doing something. Anything is so much better than doing nothing because although nothing is the easiest thing to do, it's the hardest thing to recover from. Whereas mm. doing the, what can feel like the hardest thing, getting out and doing something is the easiest way of us getting gains and getting a return for that investment, if you like, in your own time. Before the adventure coach, before what you're doing now and the path that you're on now, you started as a chef and you said there you British army as well. So how does that to kind of build the context up from that to where you are now? <laughs> it's a heck of a journey. Um, <laughs> okay. So I dropped out of sixth form because I hung around with the wrong people. There we go. Sometimes we do it. Um, I didn't get, I got through one year of my AS levels and that was it. Um, left. Didn't really know, oh, just, a, just a silly, immature kid at that time. So I needed a job because my dad would have kicked me out of the house otherwise. And uh, I became a chef and that was cool. I say chef in the loosest of terms. I was a cook and I want to put that in italics with like quotation marks. <laughs> I was somebody who did some stuff in a kitchen. Um, I really enjoyed it actually while I was in the process of joining the army. It took, took 12 months to join the army. So in that process um, and then joined the army. Didn't know what I was doing at all, you know, but went to... Phase one training, loved it. Where you learn to be a soldier and everyone's like, oh, I hate phase one training. I'd never go, I, I would, I'd do it again. It was fun, really yeah. enjoyed it. And the thing is, I was a kid that needed structure, discipline, accountability, training, and to push myself because I was just a, a, a ball of clay that could then be moulded into anything. So I was going to say, because you, you were saying that like, you maybe weren't the best kid and fell in with the wrong crowd. So you might think that you wouldn't necessarily conform or want to be in that sort of army, well, stereotypical army nature of, you wake up at this time, you have to you know, clean your shoes, everything's done regimented. But actually for you, that was the, would you call it a kick up the bum? Was it like a, a structure yeah. that you needed for you to be able to excel? Absolutely. I was never, I mean, I say I hung around with the wrong people. It's very tame. Like I didn't really get into fights. I didn't, I wasn't a violent person or, a, or an angry person. I just hung around with people that, you know, got me doing the things that I shouldn't be doing really. Yeah. And um, completely directionless. Like I say, like a ball of clay. And as soon as, as soon as hands come towards that ball of clay and it starts shaping it, well, that was the discipline. That was the timings. That was the getting up at five o'clock in the morning. That was the scrubbing the toilets with a toothbrush. That was all of that stuff, which formed foundations. And as I was a kid, I was going through like the scouts and the army cadets and stuff. So I got a feel for the outsidey stuff. I was running around with my Ramirez bushcraft book and my SAS survival guide doing things, camping with the dog. And I, I loved it mm. and needed to do more sort of adventurous training stuff. So... It was a real, the first sort of two or three years really of being in the army was, okay, phase one training, phase two trade training. That was a, that took an, a, a year in total. Then I was deployed to a unit. So I was attached to my, my, my then unit. Within six months, we were doing training to go to Afghanistan. After that, it was straight back. And then I was going on to, you know, trying to do some um, other sort of pretty hard lucrative courses in the military. And I was like, dedication to that. And it was just, it gave me the outlet to be able to focus and people call me a racehorse nowadays and sort of embrace <laughs> that early form of a racehorse blinkers on bosh, let's yeah. go. 
and just keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. And the more I did that, the more I found opportunities that I didn't like, things I don't want to do, things that weren't for me. Um, there's a quote by Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, who I absolutely love. And it says, sometimes the one thing, the one thing you thought should have happened is the best thing that never happened. And for me, that was um, joining this particular military unit. Um, I got all the way through some of the really hard training and got to the point where I was like, I don't want the job at the end. Like, really? That sounds really bad. But And I went to the chief instructor and I said, I'm going to hold my hands up here. I'm really sorry to have wasted your time, but I'm not here to do the job at the end. I've come to the conclusion I'm here to get absolutely thrashed by people I genuinely respect. And like again, that sounds very dark and, and dismal, but the unit I was in didn't really respect the people I was working with, didn't want to become like the higher ranks of, yeah. uh, you know, in that particular unit. I was just like, ah, don't really have, there's definitely a disconnect there. And it was like, okay, fair enough. After this conversation, I'm pretty sure you're going to leave the army. So um, these are my contact details. Join us in the reserves. I was like, all right, that's, that's a bold statement, but I'm not, I'm not leaving the army yet. Uh, came back and I was like, okay, well, this is where I started taking my qualifications further in adventure training, getting on loads of expeditions, went to Nepal, South Africa, went to the jungle. Those are cool wow. things. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is what I need to do. I need to get thrashed to the point where I am fit enough to go and do stuff like this. It's a capability drive for me. And if I push my capability, I can then go and do cool things. You know, I can look at these mountains that you've got on these boards behind us and be like, yeah, I could probably go up there now instead of looking, you know, 10 years ago and being like, that's a really cool mountain and leaving it there. And it's understanding that bridge between capability. I'm like, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. And then I was like, I can do this full time as an instructor. There's something you can do that in the army. I'm like, this is amazing. Apply. The people wanted me. My current unit blocked me from doing it. And I just turned around and said, look, well, I'm not being funny here and I'm not doing this to just cry baby about it. But if I don't get this, I'm just going to leave the army anyway, because there's nothing in it for me here. And they were like, oh, well, you know, and then I left. And it took a year to leave. And within that year, did a lot of expeditions, which was great, became quite sought after with my particular qualifications. And then after I left, well, I was a Spaniel let off the lead. I didn't really know what to do. So, you know. Lots of different possibilities, lots of different things, and just trying to find a way to package it in the way that it's oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had, so the, the way you leave the army, it takes 12 months, right? from when you do your seven clicks to freedom, as they call it, and then the day where you walk out. And if you're pretty savvy, you can save up quite a bit of leave. You can carry things over. You can kind of write things off and stuff. And if you're on an expedition, then you can do some time after that expedition to recover, or you can do reckeys <laughs> and all this sort of thing that you yeah. can kind of jazz up. So I had about eight months still paid um, by the army. Thank you very much. Um, before I left. So I left eight months early, essentially. So I moved into the back of my car, moved into a harbour car park in Tobermory in Scotland, my favourite place in the world, and thought, right, well, what's next? And started doing all these challenges and stuff, and it kind of got me to today. But the the genesis, really, the journey is a case of, like Pete Whitaker said there, really, like taking the opportunities, understanding when too much opportunity can potentially be a bad thing, understanding what the right opportunities are, and then just following them. Well, yeah, you took, took an opportunity. That's another thing of taking opportunities and realising that it's not, for you, mm. if you hadn't maybe have gone down that step and still sought after it, you might have gone into it in a, some, in a certain way and then just got, oh, no, no, I'm in it and I really don't want to be mm -hmm. here. Whereas you were going through that process and you actually, and fair play to you for going, actually, no, this is not going to be right for me. And it's probably quite a difficult conversation to have. 
Well, I think I was a bit egotistical at the time. So I was thinking, oh, it's a failure. You know, I'm just using it as a, as a, as a wuss's excuse to get out of doing some really hard stuff. And, you know, I'm just failing at that. And actually, in hindsight, I'm reminded, sorry, listeners and viewers, this is going to be a little bit morbid, but just bear with me here. I'm reminded of a Les Brown quote. Les Brown's American motivational speaker, one of the world's greatest motivational speakers. And he says, again, just bear with me here, folks. Imagine, if you will, that you are lying on your deathbed. Stay with me. And around you are the ghosts of ideas and dreams from your past that you never acted on. And they're looking at you with large and angry eyes saying, we came to you and only you could have given us life. And now we must die with you forever. Morbid, but let's just see what the message is from that. All of these things that you said you were going to do, all these opportunities that you thought, oh yeah, I could do that. Oh yeah, I could do that. Oh yeah, I could do that. I could run my own business. I could become part of this particular unit. I could have done that thing. I could be this snowboarding guy. I could be this. And now imagine that there's somebody dressed in snowboard gear with medals or whatever. Maybe there's somebody in combat gear with particular logos and stuff on. And there's all these things. But if you never act on them, you'll never know whether it's the right thing or not. Whereas if you do take a punt on it and you just go for it and see what happens, you'll either follow it and have the best life ever or you'll follow it and learn something. It's like what people say, you know, there's never... It's never a disaster. It's always, it's always a good story, you know, yeah. whether it's fantastic and successful or whether it's like, oh, character building and a little bit harrowing, but it's still a good story to tell in the pub after. But at least you've gone and done it instead of talking about doing it. Because I find a lot of people that talk about doing things and they never have the confidence to push it. The thing about me with the adventure coach is it's confidence. You instill confidence yeah. and competence in people. And when people then do take on those challenges, they know what the right thing or what the wrong thing is then for them to do. So let's zone in on that because that was funnily enough going to be my next question about saying that a lot of this comes down to confidence um, because you have to have that certain level of self-trust and ability to go, right, count to five, I'm just going to go and do this adventure, this job uh, interview, whatever it may be. How do you go about, because as a, as a coach, you have to, when people come in, I imagine you're, yeah, it's, it's not just a three-step plan to get you going. Mm. I, you have to talk to them, understand their desires, their frustrations, a lot of almost a bit of a therapy session to then understand the why to then be able to adapt your skills and knowledge onto them to help them succeed. Mm. Yeah, 100%. So when I coach people, we look at four different pillars, I call them, of coaching. You've got build, which is the body, the, the fitness side of life, manage the nutrition and health side of life. Forge mental resilience, which is where I put most of my attention, and then become, which is where you understand and learn the skills necessary for that chosen adventure of yours. And actually what my a lot of what my clients take out of this is from our mindset sessions. Because one of the first questions I'll ask people is like, why are you here? Not here in the world. Why why are we having this conversation now? What why are you interested? What is it that you're trying to do? Because for somebody to say, excuse me, I need some help, why? What's fueling that? Because when people say, oh, I want to lose weight, the number is not the catalyst. It's not the scale. It's got nothing to do with the scales. It's confidence. It's competence of something. Somebody's maybe said something. Maybe they haven't, they've got a image in mind that they think that they can be, which I think is a very key thing. Because when people dig into trying to improve themselves, what these people are then doing is they have in mind a version of themselves that they think is out of reach. And they go, excuse me, Ben, the adventure coach, can you help me get to that version of me? I go, what is that version? What, what's the difference? If you want to lose three kilos, well, 
what's the value in that three kilos? What does what does 67 kilo version of you look like versus 70 kilo version of you? Yeah. How does that person talk to you? What's your self-talk like? What do you think? What do you do when you wake up in the morning? Because when we look at understanding the confidence side of life, well, the confidence comes from competence, right? If we are competent in doing something, we feel a bit more confident to go and do it. There's a lake here, this beautiful picture behind you. Well, if we don't feel competent to be able to swim that, we're not going to swim. If we need to work on our swimming, we're going to need to work on our swimming because you're not going to have the confidence to jump in the deep end. So competence is where we develop the skills. Whether that competence is in physical fitness, whether that's in weight loss, whether that's in the way you think, whether that's in the skills that you need to climb the hill to do the thing, fine. And then we eventually breed confidence. A lot of people who work with coaches, PTs, anybody, are building confidence in something but in order to do that, you've got to build competence around there. So you've got to understand, well, where are your gaps in in competence? Like, what are these gaps that you need to address? Is it a case of, you know, I just want to be that person who can, you know, at the weekend, just go and climb a mountain, just go up Snowden, just go and do these things. And, you know, it just seems so simple. And I see all my friends doing it. I just, I just really want to. I just don't feel, I just don't feel like I can. Well, the lack of competence there might be, we need to lose some weight, we need to get fitter, we need to, you know, whatever, we need to build the skill set required so that we don't feel like we're going to go and die in the hills or get lost or anything like that. You know, it's building the competence around it. So in a very roundabout way of coming to the answer to your question, you know, when we look at how you first start, first and foremost, you need to understand why you want it in the first place. Because what's the difference between that version of you that you're painting in the future, however far away that is, versus right now? Everyone will draw a line in the sand at some point and they'll go, enough is enough. And that's it. Enough is enough. But articulate that line in the sand. Don't just listen to a motivational video on YouTube and say, enough. Like, look at that and go, okay, that's my line. I'm tired now of just waking up tired. I'm tired of being snappy with people. I'm I'm bored of being, you know, not feeling confident to go and climb hills. I, I just, I'm, I'm treating my body like landfill. I'm not training. Like I want to, like what's the line in the sand? Once you get clear on that, then we can put the, pla- the, the things in place to understand how then to go forward. Well, Har- Harrison Ward, Fell Foodie, who we've had on the podcast before. Amazing guy. Perfect example for that of going... Uh, uh, drinking a considerable amount of alcohol a day, not happy mentally at all. And his line of the sand was was uh, coming to the point where he thought he couldn't exist on this planet anymore. And, mm-hmm. and then he was lucky enough. We had a friend or a group of friends that then started introducing him to running and cycling. And then it, it was the the fells and the hills that really took to him. Mm. And that's where it's and it's still a battle now, as he would say. But that's where he's really started to thrive. Going right, my competence is now. I don't have walking boots. I don't have. Uh, I'm, I'm carrying too much weight. I can address that and now I'm able to start this new journey. And I mm. think especially what you'll be looking at is not creating short-term goals for people. Yes, okay, if someone's got an adventure coming up, they need to be able to achieve that. But actually it's creating habits and sustainable ways of living to be able to continue that through just a, oh yeah, okay, I want to leave three kilos. I'm going to do that in a month and a half. Okay, now what? I'm just going to go back to the way I was before eating or acting in a certain way. So I... I guess you're looking at a long-term vision as well as short-term adventures. 100%. There's something I will say to every single person who will talk to me at all, ever, about goals. And I'll say simple, becoming over achieving. Who you become along the way is far more important than what you achieve. What you achieve is great. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. But it doesn't matter, really, does it? Because the marathon, the mountain, the, the, the weight loss, the whatever... 
that's great. But what's most important is you becoming the person who does that. I want to lose three kilos because at that point, I think I might feel better when I look in the mirror. Okay, cool. Right. If that's your goal, fine. All right. Let's work on that. Let's push you towards that. But over that three months, let's say over that three months, you're becoming the sort of person that feeds your body better. You're eating better. You're drinking more water. You're, Mm -hmm. you're not going out for all the takeaways. You're not drinking all the beers. You're becoming somebody who is emotionally, physically, and financially invested in your own body, that you're treating it well. What happens with that? What's the second order effect? Well, you're going to have better management of energy. You're going to have better management of mindset and psychology. If you feel better, you will move more. If you move more, you'll become more competent. If you're fueling yourself well along all this, just because you're just generally invested in yourself, you're becoming that version of you, whether you like it or not. (laughs) you know, along the way. And the goal is great. When you're teaching somebody navigation, you go from A to B, right? And we want to go from here, this hut, all the way to these other side of the hills over here. Well, how do you know if you've gone too far? How do you know if you're on the right path? You look at something called a tick-off feature. So I've got my bearing. I know my route. Happy days. I'm kind of looking at the map. Well, I know I'm on the right track if I pass this stream. Uh, Okay. Once I've got to the tip of that woodblock, I know I've only got a hundred meters to go. Ooh, if it starts going downhill quite steeply, I know I've gone too far. You're looking at tick-off features. That's all goals are. Yeah. They're just they're just different things, just markers to make sure that you're on the right progress in the right direction, on the right path at the right time. And as you then go through those, you are then becoming that person who achieves those things. And that's a very, very important thing, you know? So, yeah, I think when it comes to looking at goals, goals are fantastic, but it is more important to understand and take account of the version of you that you're becoming along that way. There was a really interesting quote on your website, um, which I wanted to draw on. Exercise should be a celebration of what the body can do because a lot of people and myself, I've been through this when I was younger, exercise was a chore or like, I love playing sport. I've always loved playing sport, but if I was going to the gym or running something that I'm not naturally or had never before was naturally interested in, that exercise was a chore and a lot of people will see that as a chore even in the small things couch to 5k I say small everything's relative but you know a couch to 5k is a chore but for you it's about a celebration of going look okay this is going to be difficult to begin with this first week of the couch to 5k but promise you when you get into that when you do that 5k you'll look back and go I can't believe what I was able to achieve and that can be scaled up to ultramarathons climbs anything i'm going to slide an envelope across the table to you and in that envelope all right there is flights and a hotel to a roller in switzerland okay and in there there's also a ticket for you to then stay at the you're testing my memory now i think it's the bertol alpine hut which is just up by something called, you've got the um, Tete Blanche and then you've got the Agui de Lazare, which is the other mountain over the other side and you're overlooking the Matterhorn. It's absolutely beautiful. If I gave you that, what would you do? Be nervous. <laughs> what would I do? I'd, I'd go on it. Awesome. Great. And then what? Would you take an opportunity to go for a walk on a glacier? Climb, yeah. a, climb a hill maybe? Yeah. You know, Actually get there? Or would you take the ticket and go, oh, that's very nice, go to our island and sit in the cafe for a week? I see what you mean. Now tell me what part of that is a chore. Going there and sitting in a cafe would seem like a waste of an opportunity and the amazing geographical mm. location that I'm at. 
So put that perspective on your training. If you think training is a chore, get out of the gym. If you think gyms are a chore, get out of them. Nobody has ever said, maybe they have, and if they have, I, I, I open, open the questions. When people are getting outside and active, when people are going to beautiful places, hills, woodlands, lakes, does that, is, that a, is that a chore? For some people, I'm going to caveat this, for some people it might not be the first choice that they want to do. And they're like, oh, I don't really want to go that way. Because there's maybe a confidence or a competence issue further down the line. But if you had opportunities like that and you felt that it was a chore, you're not on the right path. I'm not saying that every single training session is joyful to me because I'll tell you right now it isn't. Well, you said that about the, about yesterday. Of yeah. You didn't want to go on or originally didn't want to do any form of exercise and people listening will know oh, it's raining, it's cold outside. You don't want to take the first step outside to do the run. Mm. Five minutes in to the point you come back, don't regret a workout. 100%. But find the thing that you enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Find The thing is, like I said, exercise is a celebration of what the body can do, not something that we force ourselves to have to do. If it's a celebration of what your body can do, great. If to be open and honest with people right now, if people are open and honest with themselves, like what can your body do right now? If it can only get off the sofa and walk around the garden, then fine. Great. Do it. Do it more. Expand that comfort zone. But if your body can go up and see mountains, be like, yeah, I'll go and do that. All right. I feel, you know, physically fit. I feel fit enough to be able to go and climb a hill or, you know, go in the woods and do the thing or whatever. Go do it. Go celebrate what your body can do. Because, the more you follow the original advice of take opportunities, the more you go out and do stuff, the more you're going to realize what you like and more importantly, what you don't like. You're going to be in the middle of a woods and you've got 15,000 different paths in front of you. You're going to walk up that one and go, oh, I don't really like it. I'll go to that one. Okay, I quite like this one. I'll follow this. Yeah, I'm a bit bored. I'll go on this one. Okay, cool. The thing is, you're still making forward progression, but you're trying loads of different things. You're taking opportunities. You're understanding what your body can do. Yeah, my body can bike ride. Yeah, I don't really like cycling. Oh, I can swim. Yeah. Can't really swim in the River Seven by me. It's a bit horrible, you know. But that's fine. I don't have a lovely alpine lake next to my door, but I would definitely be swimming more if I did. Uh, I like running. Great. Do I always feel like running? No. But what can I do instead? Hiking. I know I love to get out and do stuff. I know I like to, even if there's no expectation, which is a very important thing to put on it. If you're feeling a little bit, you know, negative about doing something, remove expectation at all. It's not a lactic threshold interval session. It's not a force five k in you know twenty five minutes. Remove expectation. Just go. And if if that for you is walking up a relatively steep hill, getting a bit of a pump on on your legs and breathing hard, and you turn around and you sit for an hour and you and you uh, drink a brew. I was about to say read a brew, but you don't do that. Drink a brew, or you watch your dog just having a fun time. I did that the other week. You know, you just sit there and you're like, do you know what? This is this is good. Yeah. You've still done exercise. You've done the exact same as a gym session, gym leg session, climbing up a hill, you know, but you're outside, you're clearing your head, you're doing the right thing for you and you're removing why it's a chore. If you turn around and say, oh, just training's a chore, you're doing the wrong training. And if you turn around and you keep that attitude going forward, you'll never find anything you actually enjoy doing because everything will be a chore. But there's a difference between chore and difficulty. Yes. Like a workout should be, if I, I enjoy going to the gym now, I don't find it a chore, but it, I should be pushing myself and I should be finding it difficult in the same way that if you want to go and take on a, a hill or a mountain or a climb or, or a run or whatever, it's not going to be a chore, but still push yourself and see what you're capable of. 100%. If that's what your choice is going to be. And that's, that's, you know, that's progressive overload. That's you yeah. developing that training. If you go and just do comfort all the time, you don't become anything. You don't achieve anything. Yes, you become the sort of person that goes and does the easy stuff in the gym all the time or the, whatever, but... It does take a little bit of confidence to just turn around and say, actually, I've not been up that hill before. 
I'm going to go there. I've got a client. I'm just waiting for my phone to buzz now. I've got a client who's climbing Cadridris on her own today. Um, I gave her the route. She was going to take a friend, but she broke the friend on Snowden the previous day. <laughs> and, you know, it's a relatively clear day. And I was just like, just do me a favor. I know the route you're taking. I, I know Cadridris like the back of my hand. I was like, just text me here. Send me a picture here. Text me there. Let me know when you're down. Just so that she, she's not done that route ever before. She's not done the mountain ever before. But there's a little bit of competence there because we've been working on that to become, you know, more competent and capable in the mountains. She's got the confidence to go on her own. And as you're doing that, you're pushing that comfort zone. And as you're progressing, you're doing progressive overload. You're making those sessions gradually harder and easier and so on and so forth until you grow, until you progress, until you get there. Same with Pete Whitaker with his climbing. You're then becoming more competent, not stagnating. Mm. So there's definitely a difference. You know, if you go into it with the attitude of this is a chore, this is boring, guess what? You're not going to get much out of that session. If you go into the uh, into that session and go, right, I know with exact certainty what the purpose of this training session is. And that's something I like to make 100% sure with my clients because that's what I need. I need to know exactly what this training session does. Why am I doing it? So that I go there competently to be able to go and do it. I need to know if I'm going to be training for a really, really long run. Well, I need to do some squats. I need to do some Bulgarian split squats. I need to do some glute work and core work. And if my session has got those in them, in whatever way, and progress it, then I know that every single move that I'm doing is one tiny step closer to that goal that I'm trying to achieve. So even if it does get hard and you're pushing yourself, which you should be doing, yes, in, in regular intervals through your training, you can see the progress. If you blanket off as this is a chore and it's boring, you won't see the progress because you won't see that 30,000 foot elevation kind of context of it, if you like. Just to draw it back in on you for a second, because you've been given some great advice, but just to give people some more context, and there will be some more context in the introduction to this podcast about you, but the adventures that you've been on and the challenges that you've undertaken, I mean, a, a almost three and a half thousand uh, kilometer bike pack, you've done ultras with weighted vests, you've done consecutive marathon, marathons in 16 days, you've done climbing expeditions, lots of different things. Where does your motivation come from to do that? Because that uh, seems like another step aside from, um, aside from just, you know, wanting to be outside and active. That's, that's entering a different room of adventure. It's a good question. I feel like I feel like the answer to that question over the last couple of years has changed. So let's rewind to pre-COVID um, when I was doing all these challenges. Um, the last couple of years have been slightly different. So 16 marathons, 16 days, 3,500 kilometers around Iceland, three peaks rope climb, all these things. All I was trying to do was find something harder to do each time. Right. That's That's the bluntly naive, pretty boring answer to it. I decided I was going to start running ultramarathons with my 25 kilo um, military rucksack thing on because it was good training. That was literally it. And I thought, well, I can, I, I need to go a long distance. So I might as well book onto a race and see if they don't mind hanging around for me at the end because it's safe. And at least somebody's got some accountability on me and, yeah. and, and a tracker. So I don't know, nothing <laughs> happens, you know? And I was like, oh, yes, it's fun. I did the one and they were like, this is, this is weird. Like you're an odd person, but do you want to come back to the next one? I'm like, oh, we'll give you a free ticket. I was like, yeah, great, cool. So five of those later, I was like, oh, I can do these. And I wasn't finishing last. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, this is fun. I'm getting better. I've never run an ultra marathon. Well, let's try that. Glencoe Sky Race. Let's try that. Let's jump in at the deep end. My coach at the time, um, oh, goodness me, this is back in 2016, I think. Um, my coach at the time was like, yeah, Glencoe Sky Race, that sounds hard. Do it. She was a savage of a coach. That's the type of coach you want. And you I loved it. I loved it. Um, and she was like, yeah, great, do it. And um, did that. And it was the hardest 13 hours of my life. 
Um, but I got to the end and I, you know, I'm not just saying this for the camera. Literally when I got to the end, I rang my brother cause he was watching me and I was like, I wonder what I can do next. Like, really? I mean, I am going to the co-op to go and eat my body weight in, you know, chocolate <laughs> fudge sundae milkshake, yeah. but I wonder what I could do next. And I'd already actually decided what I was going to do next. I was kind of like, I think it's in the back of my mind. And that's where the three peaks rope climb was, was born, you know, climbing the height of the three peaks challenge on a 20 foot gym rope up and down, up and down, up and down. I was like, oh, I'll do it for charity. Instead of it just being some ego boost for me, I'll do it for charity. Let's see if I can make a thousand pounds for each of the mountain rescue teams. Didn't quite hit that target, but I was new to you know, fundraising, but we got some money. That was great. We got some money for the teams. They loved More it. Money it was than awesome. no money. Indeed. And, um, I thought, well, Ross Edgley can do the world's longest rope climb, which is the height of Everest in 24 hours. So I can do just under half that. I might as well do it in under 12 hours. So, uh, Ross helped me do the training for it. It was great. Um, and we put together this training program and I was like, this is, this is banging. This was hard work. This was intentional hard work. Mm. Did it feel like a chore? No. Did I have to get up at three o'clock in the morning to do six hours of rope climbing before work? Yes, I genuinely did. But because it was intentional, I knew exactly the purpose behind it. It never felt just like, <sighs> there were times it did feel boring, but it didn't feel like a chore. <laughs> it didn't feel like That's I'm doing the wrong though. thing. Yeah. You know, there were times I'm like, Whoa, three o'clock in the morning. I like sleep, yeah. but I knew I needed to do it because I put the pressure on myself to get the pro- uh, project done. And then I was like, okay, well, the next thing, 16 marathons. And again, it kind of, I was thinking, oh, I could be the next Ross Edgley. I want to be this professional athlete. I'll get paid loads of money to do this cool stuff, get loads of deals. That is a very hard lifestyle yes. to get into. I was like, I'll do 16 marathons, one marathon in every single national park. So there's 15 national parks. And then the 16th in London for the London National Park City, the launch of that. Um, I was like, that sounds fun. Mm. Broke both of my knees along the way. Still completed it. It was it was awful. Um, but again, the training was a bit more specific for that. So taking the lessons from the rope climb, doing something, understanding, building a knowledge of physiology. And after that, I was like, I need to go to Iceland. That was celebrating me leaving the army. Um, I was like, I want to do something big. Iceland looked cool. Um, I don't want to just do the ring road because that's a bit like cycling on the M25. Um, so I thought I'll do this new route, new route, quote unquote, where I've just plotted a route around the entire outside of the country, all the way into the central highlands and then back again. And I'll do it in about 28 days. It's got to be hard. Like I want it to be hard. So it was like 200-ish K average per day, every day for 28 days, uh, in a place that I had completely underestimated how expensive it was to eat. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Iceland. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. Like I'm having the cheapest equivalent of, you know, like pasta and sauce, um, watermelon. Cause I've got an absolute thing for watermelon. Um, bell peppers, obviously like cheese, like real basic traveling food. Yeah. And it was costing me about 35, 40 quid a day. Like my credit card hated me <laughs> or I hated my credit card. Yeah. Um, but the thing was, it was like, oh, okay, I wanted to try and create this new route. Again, that's a, that's a, that's a, that was a learning exercise to try and figure out the whys of why I'm doing it. But ultimately I knew it was the life I wanted to live. I just wanted to do things. I just wanted to go and do stuff. Life's too short. I get hit by a bus on the way home tonight. Touch wood, I don't. But I just want to do stuff like that. That's it. There's no big, you know, saving the world why behind it. It's saving my own world. And I always say to people when I'm coaching them is if, if you don't work on yourself first, human beings are designed to help solve each other's problems and help each other. But if you bring a crappy version of you to that person, you're not helping them. You're just adding baggage. 
If you work on yourself first and you bring the best version of you to that person, guess how much you can help them. Yeah. You know, if I if I've got tons of things in my mind and I'm not helping myself and I and I want to try and help you in the gym, right? This, I'm not helping you. But if I can get caffeined up and I'm good to go and I've got all my stuff in order to as much as I need to or as much as I can, yeah. and I can bring my best self to you to help you on your training. You know, you're doing marathons and bits and pieces, then great. We're going to make fantastic progress. And it's the same with other people. That's all I wanted to do for these. And then that kind of draws down to, well, what's the next thing I can do? And that's where the Cape Brass Challenge was born. You know, unfortunately, COVID put a stop to that. Two weeks prior to COVID, I was good to go. And the last couple of years have been pretty difficult in terms of kind of leaving Scotland and, you know, moving jobs and all sorts of yeah. lifestyle changes and starting business, understanding what business is. That was a really big, um, really big lesson, learning curve. Um, to now this year where it's like, okay, it's back on the cards. Now the why behind that, just to kind of come to a really long way around your question <laughs> is two years ago or three years ago, rather the version of Ben that was doing these challenges was just wanting to push himself and do stuff because my ego was pushing me to do it. I think, and I just wanted to be the best. I just wanted to be the, not the best I could be, but I just wanted to do stuff when I first wanted to do Cape Wrath, I was like, I'm smashing the record, you know, doing all these things. Didn't feel like I belonged in the running community, that sort of thing. I was just kind of this, this, just this bull in a china shop. Because it's not left my mind for the last three years, the message I really want to leave with people for this is I I want to run this. Cape Wrath Trail to me is the ultimate adventure for me personally. If, if, if there was a book for the Ben Turner adventure, it's the Cape Wrath Trail. It's ridiculously long. It's hard. It's so remote. It's horrible. And if you go from Fort William to Cape Wrath, you've still got a 12-mile walk to get anywhere near to a road. So you get to the end of 231 miles. You've got to walk then to get to, the, to get to any form of like accommodation or road or anything. It's a real stinger. And the reason I'm personally doing it has not left my mind. And having not been able to express myself through these adventures for the last couple of years, I there are points where I kind of challenge my own self-belief as to who I am. I just feel a bit soft, you know, I'm not saying everyone needs to be hard, David Goggins. I'm saying like, I just personally just feel a bit lost, a bit soft. Like I'm having some success in business. Like my coaching clients are extraordinary people and it's a huge honor to coach them, but I need to be coaching myself too. And that's why I'm doing it again, because I've got some, I've got some internal work I need yeah. to do. And that's I want to idea of you being able to help other people is you being yeah. in the right place to be able to do it. hundred percent. achieve that goal. To- and I need to get to the point where I'm in the most remote point where I do want to stop. And I need to have that internal conversation with no one else around. I'm not doing it with anybody. I might, may have a film crew, not quite decided yet following me, but they're not touching me. They have nothing to do with me. I don't want to look at them, talk at them, whatever. And I'm not doing Vulnerable. that. I'm not doing that, you know, to be cool, I'm doing that because I, I need to have Ben's blinkers on. But the message that I want to open to everybody else is you're capable of so doing so much more. Uh, it, and yeah. you'll hold yourself back from doing it. So if there's something, something in the back of your mind that says, ah, oh, looking at this mountain in the background, I'd love to climb that. What would it feel like to stand on top of that mountain? Or I've wanted to run a marathon for so long can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And you, you put it off and you say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. If there's something there, go and do it. It's your moral responsibility. It's an obligation to yourself 
Even write it down in a contract if you need to, to yourself, to go and do it, to take the opportunity. Because some of the hardest opportunities to take are the best ones that you need to invest yourself in doing. You know, any opportunity comes up. There's an opportunity for me right now to go and get a coffee. Great, that's good. But there's also an opportunity for me to do something really uncomfortable, which is go and find some strangers at the Ordnance Survey stand. I've not met most of the chat. I'm an Ordnance Survey champ. I've not met them, most of them. I'm going to introduce myself. I hate that. I hate that. I stand on stage all day long, but meeting people and introducing myself as not Coach Ben, but as Ben the person, I hate that. It's really uncomfortable for me. That's an opportunity for me to grow and develop. So if there's something in the back of your mind that you need to do for yourself and you know is not leaving you alone, like Kate Brath's never left me alone for the last three years. I could have just chinned it off. I've quit loads of things in my life, but it's not left me. You have to do it. You have to. I want to draw in just finally on nutrition quickly because that's a massive part of this. We, you know, there's the competence, there's the confidence and there's the motivation, the mental side of things. But nutrition is a massive part of what you what you do and specialise in, but also very important to people that want to be going on adventures. Mm. And there's so much, um, we've had people on recently, we were chatting about this topic, misinformation or even just different information about how you should be eating, what you should be eating, what you shouldn't be eating, and nutrients and trends and all of this stuff, vitamins. That how is your approach to nutrition? And just, I guess, simply, how important is nutrition in adventure? Hmm, good question. Nutrition plays one of the four pillars of how I coach people. It's not the most important, but it is important. And nutrition in itself, in this sense, is a really broad subject. But I'd like to slightly caveat that by saying the most important element when it comes to nutrition is a critical thinking mindset behind nutrition. There is no one diet. There is no one way. There isn't. There's no best way of eating. There's no best food for adventures. There's no best diet. What there is, is the version of you with a critical thinking mindset that can filter through it and be like, oh yeah, you know, we've got this brand that's giving supplements. You've got this brand that's meal replacements. You've got this, that's this, you've got this type of diet. This person's doing keto. This person's going high carb. This person's doing, you know, only <laughs> yeah, intermittent fasting. This one's only eating tree bark, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a mindset behind it. Yeah. And you've got to understand here, folks, that people who are shouting about this, you can never take away their own personal experience. So why not go out and have your own personal experience? Why not use yourself as your own test tube, as it were, and your experiment book, get a diary and write down everything you're trying. Does it work? Does it not work? Give it a week, give it a two weeks, give it a month, whatever. If you want to try keto, go keto. If you want to try high carb, go high carb. If you want to try tree bark, you try tree bark. But when it comes to dialing in nutrition, it's like I said before about becoming overachieving. You need to be the person who becomes somebody who looks after your body. It's the analogy of the million-dollar racehorse. If you don't treat yourself like a million-dollar racehorse and you treat yourself like landfill, then you're not becoming net positive effects. Does that make sense? Mm. So when we look at nutrition, without actually talking about what to eat, when to eat diets, before we look at any of that, we need to understand you know, I'm 30 years old. I've spent 30 years eating the way I've eaten to get me here. Right. What's worked? What works for me? What doesn't work for me? I know that I don't eat McDonald's. It doesn't work for me. So I'm not going to eat that. I know that I like to eat carbs. I like to eat fats in different ways. That works for me. 
So do a deep dive into your own self and be like, okay, well, what does work for me? Do you have a green smoothie every morning and that works for you? Fantastic. Do you have, you know, a piece of fruit for breakfast, whatever, you know, look at your overall diet, understand what works for you, and then think about what doesn't work for you. Because what a lot of people will do when they come through my doors is we start to look at nutrition and address it is whether you're tracking or whether you're not tracking. Again, there's no right or wrong answer here. You can either track food or you can go for a habit-based approach. There's the two branches of the tree. But either way, you're going to be understanding what you're eating. So just write it down, get a notebook, write down every single thing you decide to put in your mouth from Monday to Sunday, and then look at it honestly. Don't yeah, lie don't about it. Yeah, yeah. Because you're only cheating yourself and you're not giving yourself an accurate value of what 100%. you're doing. I've had people who I know have done that to me, you know, and I'm not saying they're doing it maliciously. I look at that and go, you should be losing weight on that diet. Like, I, I'm struggling unless you're eating like tectonic plates worth of this particular food, <laughs> something's going wrong Ten here. Tons of spinach. So like, talk to me, you know, what is going on here? Talk, talk to me about your snacking habits. Like tell me, talk, talk me through the last 24 hours. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And I went to the vending machine. Like, That's not in here. I'm not saying that to dig at you. I'm saying, look, it's binary. It's ones and zeros. I'll say to everybody who comes to my, honestly, I don't care what you eat. I care that you trust me enough to tell me the truth. Because as soon as you can tell the truth to yourself, and if you're working with me, to me, then we can work on the most accurate ways of then you progressing in whatever way that takes form. And it's entirely dependent on, you know, the Tom, Dick and Harry that you've got in front of you and how that works for them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I can completely um, relate to what you're talking about, about trying different things. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier of, trying different things and knowing what's not going to work for you. And I've had that with food where I've gone, I've gone keto, intermittent keto and intermittent. I was waking up feeling like rubbish because I didn't, that wasn't working for me and lots of different fad diets. And then going to the point where I just don't care anymore. And now I'm finding myself in a place where I feel like I can be sustainable and consistent and go through periods where I know I want to lose a bit more weight or I know I want to put on a bit more muscle and, and start being comfortable and it's not affecting my daily life because I still want to go and have a gin and tonic like we did Absolutely. last night with the, with a team um, or, or a beer or whatever. But then also understanding that okay, well I might not have um, an extra bit of whatever this morning because I'm going to balance out for it. And I'm, I'm and that I think for me is really healthy. Mm. And I'm glad you said it's about what works for you because it's not a one size fits all. It's almost just a bit of the general people seem to have like a bit of a knowledge gap about nutrition because mm. there's so much. Uh, fear-mongering to lead towards businesses um, or lots of fad things. So I'm I'm glad about your answer because I think it helps people understand that they can, if they want to do something about it, they need to be honest with themselves, but also how important food is to, if you know, if you're going to go and take on an adventure, it needs to, um, you need to be fueling yourself. Um, It it leads kind of me on to my last question. Mm. If, you had a message that you wanted to tell someone, uh, or if you had the opportunity to tell every single person in the world a message, it's a direct line to them. You're in front of them. You can shake them. You can tell like this, either, you know, this message, what would that message be? Oh, that's a good one. <clears throat> that's a good one. Without doing a typical Ben Turner answer of three hours long with several tangents so I can tell them everything. What you're doing right now is not what you 
can potentially achieve later. What you're doing now is not the net culmination of everything that you can achieve and you can do. What you're doing now is another step, another rung along the ladder. And a lot of people will get to a marathon and they'll be like, oh, well, I'm not going to do any more. I'm not saying you have to do a marathon, then another one, then another one, then another one, then an ultra marathon or whatever. You know, you're on a path. When you're walking on a path through the woods, you don't just stop and go, that's enough for me and go nowhere else. You either go back ways, you either go left, right, forwards, whatever. You keep going. But where you're at now and everything that you've achieved in the past, whether you look at that with rose-tinted spectacles and think that you were something amazing before that you're not now, I've had a bad relationship with that in the past, you know, and you have this weird imposter syndrome for life. You need to understand that life's full of peaks and troughs. And no matter where you are on that scale, it's not the end for you. It's not, it's not the finish. There is no finish. There is no ending and there shouldn't be. What there should be is the next step, the next thing, continuing that becoming, like I said before, to the next goal to make sure that you're on the right thing. You know, if you're doing the navigation analogy from earlier, going from the hut to the mountain, Mm. what happens when you get there? Where's the next bit we're going to? Yeah, we could really flesh this analogy out. You could set up camp and do stuff there for a bit, but you're not going to live there forever. Mm. Arguably, you're going to go up there. You're going to go to the next bit, to the next bit, to the next bit. You're going to continue that journey. So I think a lot of people need to, in the world according to Ben, a lot of people need to recognize and realize that they're all on a journey. You might be happy with the result of your journey. You might not be happy with the result of your journey, but it doesn't matter. What matters is what you're going to do tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day. If you've done a marathon and you now call yourself a runner, amazing. What does a runner do the next day? A bit of a recovery runner. And you keep that progress going. So where you're at right now is not the net of your potential. I was trying to say that earlier and I forgot the line, but it's not the net of your potential. You're, you've just upped the, up the game a little bit. It's a glass ceiling. It's just got a little bit higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And it'll just keep going until you decide to go and do something else. Because potential never ends. Most people do something and they think, ah, oh, right, well, I've done this. Now I can, you know, whatever. But it's not that. It's progressing forward to do something new. It's, it's the next level of your potential. And that's the beautiful thing. So there we go. That's what I think I would tell people. I feel kind of mean because I'm going to ask you for a piece of advice in a second, but it, it, it can be different after get ask you almost for another piece of advice. But just before I do, I mean, thank you so much. It's been su- super, super interesting as I, I knew it would be. Um, where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? I think probably Instagram is, uh, yeah, Instagram or Facebook are probably the best places to go. Uh, I'm more active on Instagram. Um, time bandwidth trying to do lots of social medias. I'm not very good at that. Um, but ultimately I could say this, you know, go to my website, sign up to my mailing list. I'm not interested in that. If you're, if anything that I've said resonates with anybody that is listening to this today, if, if you're thinking, oh, actually, I, I think this guy's got some sense. Hopefully I think, hopefully you're thinking that please do. Then jump onto Instagram, just send me a message. I'm not going to go for a hard sell. because I don't care about that. What I care about is that people are then progressing to the next step. And if that means jumping on Instagram and saying, look, that really resonated with me today. And that piece of advice that you did, I did it. I did climb a hill. Tell me, because I want to celebrate that because that's epic. That really is epic. And I tell you something, when you do try that, there's something very important that you need after that. And that's somebody to say, flipping heck, that's brilliant. Well done you. 
I'm proud of you. That's insane. Tell me about it. And somebody who's really enthusiastic about it. Because that's when you're like, oh, I did do the right thing. And it makes you feel good. You get that dopamine hit and you're like, this is brilliant. This is, this is, this is brilliant. So, you know, jump onto Instagram. Yes, you can look at um, my website. My website's not very good. I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, indie-fit.com. But go to Ben Turner Coach on Instagram. Uh, and that's me. And just drop me a message. Say hi. I'd love that. That'd be amazing. Amazing. Do that. Do that. And the final thing from you. Now, I don't usually tell people who they're living, leaving their advice for. But um, I think in a special occasion, since you've got his book and and um, and you're going to want to get it signed, and it was an inspiration when you were younger. Your advice is going to to Ray Mears when he comes in. And no way. Way. <laughs> so, so you. I don't know if you had an idea planned, but a piece of advice to leave to a guest coming on the future, uh, coming on to the podcast in the future, um, which will be which will be Ray and. Uh, piece of advice for him oh my goodness me what an honor i don't know what to say um (laughs) i feel like i'm going to change what i was thinking about now right i think the okay i think the best thing i need to say here is we spoke about social media we spoke about all this other stuff in this podcast it's very important to understand that everything you do rightly or wrongly, is in a social setting. People will know about it. And people follow you. Now, people might not always like what you're doing, but people always see what you're doing. You might not see the net gain or positive of that interaction, but you just being you and doing what you do changes people's lives. And now that I know who I'm telling that to, I'm saying that because that's exactly what that person did to me. Everything you do, and this goes to everybody, changes people's lives. And if you can go into your next interaction with social media, with people, with anything, with that in mind, then that just gives you another quiver to the bow, as it were, to just say, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm helping change lives. I think that's what I'd say to Ray. I look forward to passing that along and I hope you get your book signed as well. You will. I definitely, (laughs) I'm not going home until I do. (laughs) Ben, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of the Outside and Active podcast with Ben Turner. Really interesting uh, conversation with Ben talking about how he got to where he is now and his thoughts about the outdoors and his relationship with adventure. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, please do share this with someone who you think would enjoy it just as much as you. Also, leave a review, a comment, a like, a subscribe. Depending on where you're listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, you can check out more from Outside and Active on our website, outsideandactive.com. And you can also check out the full back catalogue of podcast episodes all through the seasons. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until that time, enjoy the outdoors.